uh, it is fun to be back. Um, I have to confess that uh, I wanted to experience a little bit of winter, and so uh, I don't get snow, so this is really fun for me. Um, yeah, it's like 75 degrees year-round down there, so I, I know you can't appreciate that, but... <laughs> Feel my pain. No. Um, you know, today I'd like to talk a little about the power of a conversation. You know, I think so many times we can feel like we're in conversations. Uh, you know, maybe it looks like this. Let's take a look at one of the slides, you know, where it's just sort of blah, blah, blah. And we talk a lot. And yet, whether it means anything or whether it's relevant or if it feels like it has any substance to it, um, we're just sort of talking. And, and yet, when I look back on my life and I think about the power of one conversation, it's amazing to me how one conversation can change the course of my life. And, you know, for example, um, when I first met my wife, Andrea, we were introduced in movie theaters where a vineyard church met out in Boston. And it was our first conversation. And yet something happened in that first conversation. Uh, Something happened literally. Uh, She came up and was introduced to me and said her name. And before I could get my name up out of my mouth, my blood pressure shot up and I started uh, bleeding blood out of my nose. I had a bloody nose. So I had to run to the bathroom. I never even got to say my name. Um, But uh, something happened in that conversation that changed my life. And... I don't know about yours, but God can, in a conversation, deposit something into our hearts where all of a sudden words encounter spiritual words and spiritual thoughts and faith rises up within us. And, you know, we see this happen with Jesus. Uh, Take a look at, if you have your Bibles, Luke 5. And this is an encounter, this is one conversation that the Lord has with Peter. And it goes something like this. One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. 
And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. One conversation changed the course of Peter's life forever. And, you know, it's interesting to me because Peter, in this conversation, he had worked hard all night trying to accomplish something. I don't know if you've ever had that feeling where you've worked hard at work for maybe months on a project, and then all of a sudden somebody says, nah, we're not, we changed our mind, we're really not going to do that. Or maybe you've felt the sense of going to work, and then you come home and eat, and you sleep, and then you go to work, and you come home and eat, sleep, go to work, come home and eat, sleep. And it feels empty. There's something empty about that. And it's in that emptiness that the Spirit of God has a conversation with Peter and brings supernatural purpose into what otherwise felt empty. I know um, I had the opportunity to go to Harvard Business School uh, and there was a particular conversation that I remember that sort of changed the course of my life. It was in between first and second year. Uh, They have a process where heads of companies come and uh, meet with students in the uh, hotel lobbies and you you get hors d'oeuvres and a cocktail and you you sort of, it's I call it a schmooze fest. You, You sort of mingle with the executives, see if you get along, see if they get along with you. You like them, they all like you. And that's part of the process. And so I had heard of Procter & Gamble, P&G, and figured, oh, let's go check it out, see what it's like. So I went to the hotel where they were meeting, and I went and got a drink and walked over to the fellow uh, standing there. He didn't seem to be talking to anybody and introduced myself and said, hi, my name's Chris. And right away he said, hi, I'm Tide. And I said, excuse me, Todd. He said, no, I'm Tide, the detergent. And he went on to say how he had just increased market share by 2% and done the latest ad advertisement. And I didn't hear a word he said. All I knew is that I didn't want to become a detergent. You know, talk about your life going down the drain. You know, that's all I could envision was just, you know, and, and the spirit, of, I just, I couldn't do it. And so I left. I, I walked out. And it was as if God was speaking to me. When we moved to Colorado, and I will say, though, that just like Peter, who had fished all night and caught nothing, when the Lord spoke into his life, the Lord invited him to go fish. So it wasn't fishing that was meaningless. It was the sense of not having a spiritual purpose encompassing what he was doing. 
And in the same way, somebody could go to work for Procter & Gamble if the Lord had spoken in them and led them to that. But fish for fish's sake is empty. But fishing for God's sake is full of supernatural purpose in life. And so when we follow and maybe we're called to fish, we're free to move away from it by the Lord's instruction, only because we've invited into it by the Lord's instruction. And so there's a conversation that takes place. And the Lord deposits a sense of purpose and meaning into into what we're doing. And sometimes that faith that gets deposited into us makes us restless. I know it has for me. There was a sense of restlessness in my soul. When I started, we moved to Colorado. We were living here for a couple years and actually for four years. But in the last two years before we moved from here, there was a restlessness in my soul. That faith had been put there, and I didn't know what we were to do, and I didn't know where we were to do it, and I didn't know how we were to do it. Um, I just knew that I was restless. And I would look at uh, construction going on, and I would say, hey, I wonder what's being built, and you know, to my wife, and, and she would say, why do you always ask me that? And I'd go, well, I'm supposed to be building something. I don't know what it is. I don't know where it is. I don't know how it is, but God has stirred this sense of building. And so every time I saw an opportunity to build, I would uh, you know, sort of offer my services, and uh, part of that happened to be here. The church used to meet in uh, what's now called the theater, before this um, wing was put on. And they said, well, we need some help. So I, you know, volunteered and said, I'll show up. You know, so Saturday morning, 6 o'clock, 6.30, it was dark, it was cold, it was uh, actually rainy that day. And the job I was given was to crawl under the old building and to scoop mud out in order to connect this building into that. And the weirdest thing happened because I crawled under this space And I was laying in the mud, and all of a sudden I went into a conversation. It wasn't actually with the Lord. It was, I heard, you are such a loser. Here you are, a Harvard MBA, in the mud at 6.30 in the morning, freezing, and you're worthless. You can't, you're in this dark place. It was literally dark and damp underneath the building. It's not a very fun place to go. I could point it out to you. And it, you just, and yet... That conversation, if I had let that roll roll around in my heart and mind, it would have robbed me of hope. And it would have taken away my faith. It wouldn't have imparted faith. And so I had to bring that conversation to the Lord and say, what do you say about this? And the Lord spoke into my spirit very clearly, and he said, Chris, be content with the Lord's provision. I knew that, that I knew that, that I knew that. I wrote it down. And I wrote it on a card, and I put it over my desk in my home, and I looked at it every single day for two years. Be content with the Lord's provision. Be content with the Lord's provision. And the Lord, by faith, was stirring me, preparing me to get ready to move, to act. Because faith causes us to act as well. Sometimes we're restless, but then we're restless in order to move. There'll be a time of movement. When the time comes to move, as it was happened with me, sometimes it can happen out of one conversation. I had one conversation. It turned out the vineyard was looking to plant a church in Costa Rica, and I talked to the person over the phone and uh, said, I've heard there's uh, interest in planting a vineyard in, in uh, Costa Rica. And he said, yeah, we'd like you to do it. I was like, 
Me? Us? What? And I had that conversation, and then I got off the phone and had a conversation with my wife, and right then we decided, okay, let's go do it. So in the space of six months, we moved to Costa Rica. It was January of 95. And there we were, pregnant. And uh, we had a year and a half old daughter, and we were three months pregnant with our second child. And we moved to Costa Rica. Sold our stuff and moved to Costa Rica. Well, it wasn't more than two weeks after I'd, I'd lined up a job to work and help a company go into Latin America and I walked into the office to start, and a fax came over the machine and said, we're closing the office. You don't have a job. I was like, what? Because often, in one conversation, we hear the death of a vision, a hope, a dream, the death of a dream. And you know, sometimes that conversation can be I want a divorce. Sometimes that conversation can be, you have cancer. Sometimes that conversation can be, you are fired. And all of a sudden, the dream that we held on to, the, even a faith dream, a dream that we thought was inspired by God, a, fa- a dream that we thought would be honoring to God, all of a sudden is dashed, that there's a sense of death that comes around that. And you know, I really truly believe that what the Lord's trying to kill is not the dream, but our expectation of what that dream will, how it'll come about, what it'll look like. Because we get into the moment where it's, we're overwhelmed with grief and we think that the, the, the dream is gone. But it's not gone. It's just that the Lord wants to reveal that He's going to do it His way still might involve us. And so we see that what he's crucifying is my expectation of how it has to happen. Because what that creates is dependence on him. When all of a sudden we realize my best effort isn't going to get it done. That was Peter. I've worked all night. And you're telling me I can catch fish? Come on. And it's because of a conversation that the Lord starts to Say, no, I can work. And so faith, even though there's a death, there comes divine patience by faith. Faith births patience. When, I, when I'm still, when I listen, when I understand. You see, patience comes from, a, there's a couple words in Greek for the word patience. One of them is uh, ipomone, which is abide in, remain in, remain under, remain present. See, because there's a huge desire when we're impatient, what we want to do is run away from the moment. Okay? We all live in time. Let's see the image of that. We all know what time is. Time, there's a word in Greek, chronos, and that's clock time. That's the time of, of seconds, of minutes, of hours, of days, of months, of years. It's linear time. Now, one of the fascinating things to me is that when we live just in linear time, 
There's times that we feel like we're accomplishing something, and then there's times where time feels useless or wasted. So we talk about wasting time. And impatience, so maybe you've been in a situation like this one, where you expected to get somewhere in 20 minutes, but now all of a sudden it's taking an hour and a half. And so what do we become? We become impatient. We want to run away from that extra hour and a half because it feels wasted. It feels useless. It feels empty. And so when we sense emptiness in Kronos, we don't want to be present because it feels hollow. It feels empty. And that's why Scripture talks about that when we live out of faith, we don't live in Kronos. We live in another thing called Kairos. And Kairos is not clock time. Kairos is when the kingdom of God, the presence of God, fills Kronos with divine purpose. So imagine, if you will, that you're in the car, on the road, and all of a sudden there's a traffic jam, and the Spirit of God fills the car and has a conversation with you. One that maybe you wouldn't have if you had gotten where you wanted to go. And all of a sudden, that hour is amazingly rich. And you go, wow, that was amazing. That was so full. Because Kronos fills time and makes it full. That's, that's why it, we see that in Mark 1... The following, 15 to 18. The time, kairos, not chronos, that's not the word used here. Kairos is the word used. Kairos has come, he said. Why? Because the kingdom of God is present, is near, is around you, is in you. Repent, repent literally means change your way of thinking and believe the good news. Let faith rise up in you that the presence and and life of God is with you and then it will fill the time to make it full. That's why the next image is exactly that. And Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee He wasn't walking in Kronos. He wasn't just doing something to get something done. He was present as to what the king had purposed for that moment. He sees two boats, but he doesn't see two empty boats. He sees two empty lives. And he steps into them with purpose and presence. And when he does that, Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, and he saw Simon and brother Andrew casting a net, into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once, they left their nets and followed him. See, the Spirit of God has an amazing way of bending time. It's not linear. The amount of fish, an example, an image of this, was the amount of fish was more than Peter could have caught in linear time. And the Lord was making a statement. He was saying, no, this could happen in, in a moment, in a flash. Because when the purpose and presence of God is filling the time, it takes on another dimension. 
And when we are looking at life through the filling of the presence of the Lord, then all of a sudden what happens is in another dimension. When I went to Costa Rica, um, the Lord had burdened my heart to be a bridge. And I really didn't know how to do things. Um, One of the things the Lord had called us to was to serve the poor. I really honestly didn't know how to do that. I didn't know how to do it even in linear time. And so I just prayed and prayed and said, Lord, fill, give it, open my heart to a conversation. Show me. And so literally in one conversation, the Lord spoke to me when I heard a man speak and he said, go up and serve him. Go tell him you want to serve him. So the next day I went up, went to a drug rehab center, found the director and said, Lord's put on my heart to serve you. What can I do? And he said something that changed the course of my life. He said, Chris, help me reach the children of this neighborhood because they're the addicts of the future. And when he said that, it was as if the kingdom of God filled the moment. And I knew that I knew that that's what we would do. I didn't know how to do it. So what I did was the next weekend, I bought a bunch of hot dogs. I got a megaphone. I walked the streets and I said, who wants hot dogs? You know, come over to the parking lot over here. And so I'm thinking all these kids are going to line up and, you know, take a hot dog and happy smiley faces. It was absolute chaos. We had 35 kids. I had one kid who had eight hot dogs stuffed in his pockets and another kid who had none. And they were going at it, um, punching each other. And one kid ended up with a bloody nose. And yet when I knelt down and I looked the kid in the eye and I said his name, he changed. His countenance changed. His person changed. And I could feel the power of a conversation where the Spirit of God was doing something present in the moment. And so we have these ongoing conversations with kids in some of the more violent and difficult areas. We're going to see a video in a moment that will help you see some of what we're doing to step across, to be a bridge into the hearts and lives of kids who are longing to encounter purpose and meaning. Let's take a look. causes fear. When darkness fills the streets here in San Jose, Costa Rica, we begin to feel fear. When a young girl drops out of school desperate for money and begins to sell her body or drugs, darkness fills the streets. When a young man believes that the only answer and the only solution is violence. Darkness fills the streets. When a young person looks into their future and sees no opportunity, 
Darkness fills the streets. Because hope brings light, and where there's light, you see true color. When a young man begins to use his creativity and he creates a robot out of something that he never even believed was possible, light enters his world and fills it with color. When a young girl learns English. And begins to do the impossible in her own mind, and she realizes that there's hope in the future. Her world becomes filled with color. When young people come together in the Fundavida clubs, they find a safe place to meet. They find connection. They experience the love of God, and they desire to help others. They go and help in communities more needy than their own. And color and joy fills their world. When a young person finds someone who listens, and they're able to learn how to let go of bitterness and to forgive another, light comes into their world and fills it with color. Hope changes everything. Would you help us bring hope, light, color? To those who need it most, I'll be in the back afterwards. You know, maybe you'd like to help change the life of a child、um, for about the cost of a bottle of water a day. You can you can help. You can change a life.、Um, we have quite a few kids that we're looking to find sponsors for.、Um, be happy to talk to you about it, or maybe just like some information, and or you'd like to sign up and receive our newsletter.、Uh, but the reality is that. The Spirit of God wants to fill all of our lives in a transformational way, and I don't know. Maybe、um, recently you've had a conversation that has dashed something in your heart, or you've lost hope. And this might be a great opportunity to have someone pray over you and to speak life back into that broken dream. Why don't we stand? And、I'd just like to pray for a moment, Father. We invite your presence just into the daily time, the monotony of our lives, Lord. That you would bring supernatural purpose. That you would stir our hearts by faith. 
Father, maybe some would become restless. Maybe others would be invited to move and to act. Maybe others' faith will rise up and bring patience, the ability to remain in. But Lord, most of all, we want the life that you can place in us to flow through us in a conversation.